Hallelujah. I had a flashback of Highway 28 Church of God. I was about 12 years old. And the song leader kept doing this. And you know what that means. Sing that chorus again. I don't know, eighth, ninth, tenth time through, it finally got into somebody that he abides. And there's a shrill scream goes out and then the glory falls down. Because we truly realize and take note that the comforter abides. Who is that comforter? My Lord, don't get me off track this morning. Huh? He's that paraclete. He's that one that comes alongside of. He's that power that enables me to get up in the morning and face the devils of the day. The comforter abides with me. There's no thirsting for the things of this world. They've taken wings. Long ago, I gave them up. And it wasn't a process. It was instantly. Hallelujah. Well, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Left of Zephaniah, right of Nahum. It's at the center of the crossroad. Major message in the minor prophets. Habakkuk. Amen. The Lord is good, merciful and kind. Gracious is he. So thankful for you to be in the house of the Lord with us this morning. Uh, I was somewhat disappointed at the end of last week's service. And I got reports that there was no Jericho march. I just think Pastor Brian was scared. Because I'd encouraged him, march them. You know, if we get we get too far beyond our past and raised and to, to do a little Jericho march every once in a while, we need to find another altar somewhere and, and get it right. You remember back in the day before we got all sophisticated. You know what I'm talking about? Before we got blue lights and lit up crosses, that stuff. When we were singing, he abides. And we'd hit on that Jericho when the walls would come down and we'd go to marching. Amen. Yeah, I thought for sure he'd have you marching. He just got the wall down. Heard it was good, though. Amen. But I was disappointed. I thought for sure he'd march. Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 1. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. Simple thought this morning, when the time is right. When the time is right. Father, I love you. I thank you so much for your goodness. For the sweet atmosphere that's in your house today. Wonderful presence. Sweet fellowship. As your anointing has been ushered in. Lord, I thank you for your goodness. And I thank you for the mercy. Now, Lord, I ask that you would help us. Help me to preach that which is pleasing to you and edifying to the body. And Lord, we'll be quick to give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise. In Jesus' name. The church said, amen and amen. When the time is right. This little book of Habakkuk, these three chapters are unique <coughs> in themselves. It, it's not necessarily a letter 
to the people of God. It's not written to the people of Judah. It is a conversation between the prophet and his God. And in that conversation, we hear the heart of God to his prophet. It begins with a complaint in chapter 1. It's a burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. And he says, O Lord, how long shall I cry and you not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence and you will not save. Judah in her rebellion, Judah in her backslidden state and condition, the prophet is talking to God and telling God, how long are you going to let this go on? How long are you going to permit your people to continue in, your, in, in their sin against you and your righteousness and your holiness? How long can you tolerate this mess? And then the remainder is this back and forth between the prophet and God. It would appear today in our culture and in our society that there seems to be a crisis of identity. People trying to determine who they are or what they are. People trying to figure out in the confusion and the state of our world exactly what their place is and who they are and what they are to be in this world and in the midst of this society. Identity in crisis. And if we're not very careful, we can see that danger as it begins to seep into the church. And the church is struggling for its identity in this world in which we've been placed. I know, and I had to help myself this morning as I'm studying and going over this word again. It, it's, it's, not, it's not difficult to grow very negative when we begin to think about our world and we think about society and we think about the condition of humanity. It's not hard to to form a negative thought and a negative idea. You can even begin to focus on more with what's wrong with the church at large than what is right with the church at large because this struggle for identity, especially post-pandemic, the church is struggling to re-identify itself as well and how to minister to a world that is, quite frankly, still living in fear and we are still not past it. Pray for some of our church family who are dealing with the virus, COVID, is still moving and still going. And I meant to request prayer for my mother. She's not doing well with it either. She's sick with this stuff. So this is, this is the culture in which we are trying to cultivate a ministry in. And it has changed to a large degree. But one thing that remains the same, there's one constant that will never change, and that is God. Amen? If there's one thought that you can get through reading the three chapters of Habakkuk is that you and I live by faith and that God is faithful in spite of everything. I know we can look and wonder, God, how long are you going to let this mess go on? I don't know about you, but I've wondered just exactly how bad was Sodom and Gomorrah if God rained fire down on them and he's letting our current culture continue to cultivate, grow, and go. It makes me wonder how bad the condition was of Sodom and Gomorrah. But also you can think of it that way or you can say how merciful and how graceful and how faithful is our God who is willing that none should perish but that all should come unto repentance and everlasting life. It's not easy uh, to have this form of, uh, of uh, looking at how God's goodness is toward the world today because of how easy it becomes to see the negative that is all around us. You have to focus and in order to focus there must be a clarity of vision and that's what God is beginning to speak to the prophet. He wants him to know that he is large and still in charge and he has still got it all under control I know that I sometimes wonder God are you losing your grip this thing's about to get out of hand but can I tell you God is not losing his grip and it's not getting out of hand even though we see perilous times approaching even though we see men's hearts turning away from God and, and vile things happening and going on rest assured that God is still on the throne and everything is playing out according to his 
purpose and according to his plan. Because if you read his word, his word tells us exactly the condition that this world is going to be in when his son steps out in glory. And it's almost bad enough. Oh, my, my, my. Oh, is it not bad enough yet? Evidently not. He hasn't returned. It will get worse, but in the worst that it becomes, his grace becomes more sufficient and he edifies the body at a greater level. When we begin to understand our identity and we begin to know that the world and the condition even of the church today that God is still in charge. You stop and think about our nation itself. It's become the second largest uh, most missionary receiving nation in the world. Oh yeah, we send a lot, but do you realize that God is laying on the hearts of people in other nations, laying on their hearts, burdening their hearts to come to our shores, the good old U.S. of A., which should be the belt buckle of nations uh, through the goodness and the grace of God. But now we have gotten to the point where God is moving on the hearts of other nations to send them forth and to come here on these shores and begin to preach in our towns and in our communities and witness to people who we should be witnessing to and people who we should be ministering to. God is burdening the hearts of other nations to get to good old America and preach his word. Oh, I think it's time that the church arises. I think it's time we renew our relationship with him and we find ourselves with the prophet that we position ourselves upon the wall, that we get up on the watch and we begin to be alert, rise to the ramparts and begin to be alert watch and pray he said I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and we'll watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved so why would our nation, why would this church, why would we particularly, we can narrow it on down to the Hopewell community and those from where you come. Why is it so important for us? And I'll tell you why. And why are we the second largest missionary receiving nation in the world? Because 20% of Americans attend church every week. Only 20% of Americans attend church every week. Listen to this. 41% of Americans attend church monthly and call it faithful. Once a month, they're faithful. I remember when once a month it gets you a visit from half the church. Huh? 57% of Americans seldom or never attend church. So now we begin to see a little more clear. You can dig into the statistics even deeper and realize why God is moving on the hearts of other nations and people that he's called in other nations to make their way here because somehow or another we are falling asleep on the job. And there are those of us who are still calling like a Habakkuk and we're saying, God, how long are you going to let this mess continue? How long can it go on? When we should be not just asking God, how long is it going to go on? But we should be rephrasing the question saying, God, how how much more time do we have to proclaim your good news? How much time? Oh, Lord, hold on. Give us another week. Give us another month. Give us another year. Oh, and the only way that that will happen is if we are as excited as Habakkuk was to get in our position, get up on the wall, and get ready to watch. Oh, that answer would come, this, this vision. He said, I want you to write it, and I want you to make it plain. Understand today that we must redevelop our foresight in knowing what the will of God and the plan of God is not only for our life, but for his church and for this lost and dying world some things we must answer the first is the identity question who are we who are we when we begin to think values are defined by Webster's dictionary as principles, standards, or qualities considered inherently worthwhile or desirable. The root for value is valor, which means strength. And the values are sources of strength because they give people the power to take action. Values are deep, emotional, and often difficult to change. I think it's time we renew our values and, and the purpose that we understand why God has called us out of darkness into his mind 
marvelous light. Can I tell you, he hadn't just saved you and called you and delivered you from the debauchery of the sin of your life so that you can sit safely within the walls and the parameters of his sanctuary and just wait till he comes. No, he has saved you that you get to the watch. He has saved you so that you make your way up the rampart. He has saved that you understand what the vision for his people are and the world that he holds so dearly and so precious in his sight that you would understand it. And he's written it and made it plain. Understand who we are. You are the church of the living God. You are those who were once in darkness who have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You are those who are to proclaim his goodness, his mercy, and his grace. As I've stated, I personally feel it's high time that the church begin to walk in the light of the purpose that God has called us to. It's time that we extend that purpose into the world by proclaiming Christ as Lord. In our culture, in our society, if you really want trouble, you start proclaiming it boldly, politely, and you will see the condition of the world which we are in. I'm not saying be irreverent in your proclamation. That doesn't bring all that will bring is a reproach against the name of Christ. Hello? But we are to be reverent, but yet not be bashful in our proclamation of who Jesus Christ is. But you'll never proclaim who Christ is until you know who you are in Christ. Hallelujah. There is an identity crisis within the church, and it's time that it be ratified. And the only way it's going to be ratified is get into his precious word and read what he has written and read what he has proclaimed and begin to align our life to the declaration of his word. Time we know who we are and the test that has been given us. It's important for the world around us to know that we understand who we are. In order to understand who you are, you have to understand what you were and not be what you were in proclaiming who you are. Hello? Because if you're living as you were, then your proclamation is wrong. Hello? So we begin to understand. Matthew 5, 13 says that you are the salt of the earth. Verse 14 says you are the light of the world. But he also talks about a dark light. Hello? What type of light are you when you're out there? You're illuminating something. So what is it that you're illuminating in your life? It's time to realize that you are the light of the world. Because why? The light of the world resides in you. Jesus declared of himself, I am the light. Hallelujah. And he resides in you. And because he resides in you, then you ought to illuminate his character and not your own. Come on, somebody. Understanding who we are. We are the salt that balances this culture. How many know that a good dose of salt makes things go a long way? Nothing any worse than a bowl of pinto beans without salt. Nashed. Throw it out. Hello? Nothing any worse than a so-called quote-unquote Christian that has no flavor to it. How many knows when salt's set and it's got a little damp, it loses its savor? Jesus said salt that has lost its savor isn't fit for anything. Water's parallel. Throw it out. It's no good. But we cannot afford to lose our, lose our savor in a world that needs a little flavor added. Come on, somebody. you got to know who you are as being the salt of the earth. And the addition that you bring is Christ who is in you is the eternal hope of glory. It's Christ in you that you offer the world. That is the savor. It's not we of ourselves. And when I know who I am, when I begin to proclaim him it's he that goes forth and he that illuminates and it's his flavor that I'm trying to add to the savor of the world that's who you are salt and light Romans 8 17 says that you are heirs of God and join heirs with Christ Jesus hallelujah for that one the quicker you realize that Christ 
is your brother, but yet he is also your redeemer. You understand that by Redeemer, he's therefore your Savior. And therefore, by being your Savior, he is the Lord who reigns upon the heart of your life. And what you are doing is trying to manifest the expressed image of Christ as God the Father enables you through the grace that is so abundant and the enabling power of the abiding presence of the Comforter who is the Holy Ghost. And you realize that I am an heir, a joint heir with Christ Jesus. And by virtue of being an heir, my father's prepared a place for me, and my God, as an heir, I shall take possession. That's who we are. You're struggling for identity, you're light, you're salt, you're an heir. An heir to what? Don't have time to fulfill you in on all that. Well, let's just start with heaven. <laughs> Woo! You're an heir to heaven. Paul said to the Thessalonians, first chapter 5 and 5, first book, says that you're children of light. First Peter 2 and 5, Peter writes to the church, says you're lively stones, build up a spiritual house. So therefore, we need to do some resuscitation. Because some of the lively stones have lost their breath. Hello? And our spiritual house seems to be in some disarray. So there must be some repair to this old house. My Lord. Yankee workshop. Come on. H. Verse 9 of that second letter, first letter, second chapter says, You are a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a very peculiar people. With that, I can't agree. Because we are very peculiar people. Huh? Back in the day when old timers would be having conversations and individuals' names would come up, they'd say, Boy, they're a bit choir, they're a little bit peculiar. Some of you have no clue what that means. Look it up. Do a little Google research what choir and peculiar means in Appalachian vernacular. It means they oddball. They odd duck. They're a little strange. They're not normal. They're peculiar. Can I tell you we've been declared as a royal priesthood and a peculiar people. Why? Because as the world sees you, because of the transformation and the regeneration of the work of Christ in your life, you're not normal. Neither should we be. When you leave some sinner's presence talking about the goodness of God and the work of Christ in your life, when they turn to the next sinner after you're gone, they should say, boy, he's peculiar. Boy, she's odd. Huh? Yeah. Because we understand who we are. You can't smell like the world. You can't talk like the world. You can't act like the world. You can't go to the world's places. Uh, you can't sip with the world, smoke with the world, and ask somebody to consider you different than the world. Oh, no, your fruit. Are we okay? I am in a hole in a church, right? <laughs> Our fruit gives us away. Huh? When I leave from their presence, I want them scratching their head, not thinking. I don't know what he thinks he is, but he ain't what he's saying. Hello? I want them scratching their head saying, man, I'd like to know more about what he's talking about. I'd like for there to be power in my witness. I'd like for there to be conviction in my life. Hello? Wouldn't it be wonderful that when you come into people's presence, your life, your living, your conduct, everything brings conviction to them because you are not normal as the world sees you normal, but you're a royal priesthood and a very peculiar person. That's who we are. 
Another question we must ask ourselves, and as I look, is what time is it? Oh, we're all right. We must have a good understanding of the time parameters in which we're living. When we look around us, we, I measure time and how I feel is concerning the return of the Lord. Amen. I know we measure time in seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, years, decades, on and on and on. That's how we measure time. But I think we should measure time more by the grace of God and as it's being poured out in this world as to the time of the Lord's return. Because I think that's the major important factor. If we are seeing in our age and in our time what considers to be the last day outpouring, then I think it's about five minutes to the return of Jesus Christ. Hello? When we begin to understand that we see on the time clock of life, if God is pouring out his spirit in accordance to Acts chapter 2, and he's pouring it out upon all flesh, and if he's pouring it out globally, not just on America, we tend to think God's blessing is totally determined by what he does here in America. Can I tell you there is a global out pouring of the Holy Ghost going on in this world beyond the borders of this nation who seems to be deafening our ears and hardening our hearts Indonesia seeing people saved and filled with the Holy Ghost by the thousands and Africa seeing them by the thousands and South America seeing them by the hundreds and the thousands there's an outpouring going on and if my if my time sheet tells me correctly in the last day saith God I'll pour out of my spirit upon all flesh old men dreaming young men seeing vision handmaidens prophesying young men prophesying under the unction and the power of the Holy Ghost what time is it it's time to get up and do something what can I do what can you do just tell somebody about Jesus. That's all that's required of you. You don't have to baptize them. You don't have to go into a theological debate of the Trinity with them. Just tell them about Jesus and what he's done for you. I assure you, those who knew me before Christ can tell you that I'm peculiar now and I am not the individual I was before Christ. Hallelujah. And that is your gospel message. You don't have to try to get in quoting book, chapter, and verse. Just simply tell them about the redeeming power of Jesus Christ in your own life. That's all you got to do. And try to get them to the place where the glory and the fountain and the grace of God is pouring out. Amen. Where the word of God is going forth and they can hear. You don't have to be what you were or any longer. You can be different. But you've got to let Christ do the changing for you. How many of us tried every self-help that you could? Well, some of you, I don't know. I guess you didn't realize you needed help. Well, I'm telling you. You needed help. We need help. Part of our problem is we think we don't need help. That's our biggest problem. We think we don't need God until we find ourselves lower than the low. Huh? The bedrock of the bottom. And there's no other way to turn our gaze but upward. And when we lift our eyes, as the psalmist said to the hills, from whence cometh my help? Your help comes from the Lord. Amen. Just tell people that. Tell them where your help comes from. Let them realize that we are living in a time, and they're living in a time when they need God. It's time that each of us, individuals and local churches, begin to be what God has called us to be, that light, that salt. Let our identity be lived out in our life. It's time that we live that way. When we think about the church in America, we have to rediscover the sense of urgency. When we used to sing the old songs of, of the old red pack days, when we used to sing them, there was always this pushing toward the urgency of the day in which we're living. 
You don't think about Jesus coming if you're not singing about Jesus coming. And when you start singing about Jesus coming, you start thinking about, am I ready if he comes today? Hello? <laughs> that, that was always a reminder. It pushed us theologically to always evaluate our condition and our position in light of the Lord's return. And we are living today, the church is living today, going through the formalities of life and church business and church perfunctory stuff without the urgency that this could be the day, this could be the hour, tonight before the cock's crowing. It could be the day that the Lord returns. And the main thing is, are we ready to meet him? Or will we be of the five foolish virgins with no oil in us and no lamp to burn when we hear the bridegroom call, go you out to meet him? And we can't go because there's nothing in us. Without a reminder of the urgency of the hour, the church grows increasingly complacent. Because when you're constantly reminded that the Lord could come today, I think it causes one to live with a sense of urgency. When you, I, I, I am sure the Lord puts people across our paths that we intercept daily that he wants us to have the courage to just tell them something about himself. How many times have we walked away from opportunities and we get in the car, we start down the road, and the Holy Spirit reminds us. And then we begin to think, well, I should have. I, I wish I had, you know. And the opportunity's gone. I'll tell you what time it is. It's time that we seize every opportunity that the Lord makes available for us. Because that's where we're living. We're living in a time when we must realize the urgency of the hour. And that we are living in a day that is growing increasingly as Matthew 24 describes it. The coming of the Lord. Nations against nations. People against people, pestilence, all these things unleashed upon the earth. Unleashed so that the earth would turn toward God. So that our attention be drawn to the urgency of the promise that is made. Habakkuk, write the vision, make it plain, put it on tablets so who that comes and reads it can run with the declaration. That's what we have to have uh, is a clear understanding of what's written on the tablets so that when we read it, we can run with the declaration. He said, oh, it's not coming just yet. It's not ready just now, uh, but though it tarry, wait for it. Hallelujah, because it's not going to continue to tarry. Oh, that's the way we are with the declaration of the Lord's return. Oh, he's going to come. He may have not come in my lifetime. He may not come in your lifetime. But that does not negate the fact that he is going to return. And so the vision is plain. The Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. He's coming. And we must be ready and must be urgent in delivering the help and the hope of the good news. What time did you let him out last week? Huh? I got eight minutes. What time is it? Time we understand the revelation that we've received and leased it through the anointing, release it through the anointing that's been given to us for those who are hopeless and in despair. And if you don't think people are hopeless, next time you have a conversation with a stranger, look in their eyes. The eyes are the gateway to the soul. Begin to talk to them just a little bit. Engage for two to five minutes and try to question them as to their condition and how their life's going. And watch a gateway in their eyes open and the depth of their soul be revealed. People are desperate for hope. Second Corinthians 6 and 2. Paul said, I've heard. I heard thee in a time accepted and in the day of salvation. Have I secured thee? Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We don't have the luxury to continue to put it off. Hello? 
because the only assurance of time and life that you have is what you've already spent. The next 30 seconds are not yours until you live them out and the hope that you have to the end of them. Did a funeral yesterday for a precious saint, lady at my first church, young pastor. I told him yesterday, I'll never forget the day that Sister Kathy and I and our three towheads, we drug them in through the front door. The little foyer of that little old mountain church, it was frosty. You could see the fog on the window and they was looking out the church doors. And here we come. Green, I'm telling you, green is a whippoorwill. <laughs> oh, Lord, had no clue about nothing. That was back before the days of MIP. So nobody had told me anything. They said, there you go. My Lord. I remember Sister Gladys as she welcomed us. She had this gift of agitation. Sister Gladys did. She had the gift of agitation. She loved to just poke. Just poke. Irritate. But she'd do it with a smile and you couldn't get mad at her. So I just got to where I'd just poke back at her. And so we'd come in fussing and leave a fussing. Knowing we was fussing in love. Because when it come time to pray, she'd hit those knees. Green heaven's bells. That's what time is. The other day, woke up, went to the couch, took a breath, fell over dead with a massive heart attack. We don't have a promise. The only time that you're assured of is the time that you've already spent and the breath that you've just exhaled because the next one could be held from you and eternity you would find yourself in. And can I tell you, the people that you come in contact with need to know the very same thing. Oh, it's because of the grace of God that you're here today. And when you look into the depths of their souls and you see how hopeless and lost they are, <laughs> should be streaming from your eyes is the light of the hope of the glorious gospel which is the good news that Jesus redeems and that Jesus saves and that Jesus helps and that Jesus delivers and that Jesus loves them. Oh. Romans 13, 12 says, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. You don't have time to play patty cake with God, people. You don't have time to have one foot in the church door and the other in the bar room. We don't have time for that. The day's far spent. The day's at hand. Cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. The time. The latter part. 1 Peter 2 and 5 says, And offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Christ Jesus. The second part of verse 9 says, After we're peculiar to people, he said, You should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's time for us to arise. That's what time it is. It's time you stop holding your peace and let your lips show forth the praises of him who has delivered you, who has saved you, and it's time that we begin to glorify him. We who are the peculiar should magnify and glorify his name. We don't have time to waste around. We don't have time to piddle-dilly around. It's time that we get to the mission at hand, glorify and praise him and offer sacrifices on him the fruit of our lips and the praise and our lives be witnesses for him. It's what time it is. It's time that we say of God, be God, then we serve him. It's time that we declare as Joshua, my house is going to serve him. That's what time it is. It's time for a sleeping giant to arise and an army to march. It's a time that pulpits return to and preach the whole truth. It's time that we preach that the church return to the power to which she has been indeed. That's what time it is. 
But I wonder if we understand the urgency of the time in which we're living. I wonder if we truly understand that every moment counts. I wonder if we truly fully grasp that there will be those who cry, Lord, Lord, and he still says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. I think folks think just because they go to church, they're going into heaven. Eh, wrong. Oh, don't I wish it were true. But it isn't. Church attendance is not the requirement. It's a benefit. Huh? It's a privilege. The requirement is repent and believe. Huh? That's good right there. So that would lead one to the fact of this last statement. When the time is right, it's going to come to pass. When the time is right, the vision will be fulfilled. And that first complaint offered by the prophet, how long is this going to last? God answers him and says, well, I'll tell you what I'm doing. I'm sending the Babylonians. And that just made the prophet even more aggravated. Well, that's worse than the mess we're in. Hello? It's only three chapters. I encourage you to read it. It's loaded. Sometimes I wonder the mess that's coming is worse than the mess we're in. So that leaves one to determine whose church is this anyway? Huh? Too many churches are plagued today with the grandma syndrome. Are you ready? Hold on. Some churches are controlled by just a few, and they have no idea what God expects from them. The church is the Lord's. And we'll all stand before him and give an account for what is done. I never have liked power plays in church. Hello? Never have cared for that. Never have tolerated it. I figure they gave me the pastor card, so it was up to me to see this straightened out. People dying going to hell. Hello? People fussing because they can't make the decision. They want to be the one to do the telling. Anything with two heads is a freak. A freak is a freak, two heads. It's a freak, and it belongs in a circus. And the church is not a circus. Now, I know sometimes I may act like it is up here when the Holy Ghost gets on me, but it's not. Christ is the head of the church. That, and that's, that's whose this is. I had a friend of mine help me understand that one time. I, was, I mean, I was in bad shape. Bad shape. Church was doing great. Man, it was just rolling right along. But I was in bad shape. So much so that we, I'd, I'd quit youth camp long before Sister Kathy did. And I signed up for work two weeks of camp just so I didn't have to be at the church. So I was serving lunch one day, was in the, in the room about to take a nap before getting ready for supper. And my pastor friend asked me, he said, well, how's it going? And I just spilled. I said, yeah, it's not worth two cents, just to be honest with you. I'm in bad shape. He said, well, I'm going to tell you something. The Lord told me here a while back when I was in the shape that you're in right now. He said, it helped me and it might help you. I said, okay, I'm open. I'm all ears, right? He said, get ready. He said, the Lord told me, he said, the church is his. He died for it, and I didn't have to.
it, it, was, it was a mic drop revelation for me. Because you'd be amazed at how much we put on our shoulders that we think we have to perform for you, like we're the circus clown. Oh, yeah. And when he told me that, I had a good talk with the Lord, and when I got back, I was free, free, free. That's when I began to declare, and my ministry's changed, and it's followed me here. I'm free, free, free. My responsibilities declare to you the urgency of the hour and the hope that is in Christ. And your and my responsibility to live according to the mandates of the Scripture, no more and no less. And if we, when the trumpet sounds, are not living in accordance to the mandates of the Scripture, your feet will not even begin to rise. Now, if you think you can go to heaven without living by the book, please enlighten me. I, I've read it, and I hadn't found that part yet. The part that I see is God is holy. And without holiness, no man shall see him. <laughs> now, you want to show me how you can get around that and make it? By all means, try it, but I don't think you can. Stand with me and I'm quitting. I've killed it anyway. To know whose church it is, we move beyond barriers. I, I have to struggle, and it is a challenge for me to tear down the barriers of negativities. I can get negative. I'm a realist. I, I'm, I'm not an optimist. I'm not a pessimist. I'm a realist. Anybody know, know the difference? You know, the, pe the optimist is a half, half glass is full. Pessimist, if it's half full, it's half empty. The realist says, I'll drink it anyway. I'm thirsty. Doesn't matter if it's half full or half empty. The realist just is thirsty. You have to get beyond the barrier. And the world in which we're living, the media and what we put before us, what we take in, fosters the barrier of negativity. It's easier to be negative than to be positive. It is. Because there seems to be so much negative, so when I say we're full circle, we're right back where we started. But I'm here to tell you that the reality of it all is this. It rains on the just and the unjust. Well, what's that mean? Everybody's going to get wet. Everybody's going to have their share of trouble. Everyone's going to have their share of of good times and quality life. But it's up to you and I who know the hope for eternity to be real about the fact that without Christ there is no optimism. But because of Christ we can be eternal optimists as we live out the reality of life here below. Father, I love you. This is your church. And I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about these lively stones built up into a spiritual house. I'm talking about the people that are in this room. And Lord, sometimes the situations and circumstances of life kind of leave us feeling a little hollow and a little empty. But we have hope in you. We have hope in you. I wonder all across the house, if you just need a little added hope in your life, would you slip your hand up? I just need a little hope. Yeah. Wow.
Your hope comes from knowing who you are. And this morning, I encourage you to know Christ as your Lord and Savior. Know that you are that joint heir, light, and assault. And if you don't, right where you are, I'm going to pray a sinner's prayer. Right where you are, no, no one's looking around. Every head's bowed. And saints be praying that the conviction of the Holy Spirit deal with hearts and lives. And hearts come to know Christ right now. It's this is the most important part of all that we do today. If you're here today and do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, pray with me. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I come to you today and I repent. I repent. Forgive me and cleanse me of my sin. And take your rightful place on the throne room of my heart. And be Lord of my life. For I believe that you were born, that you died, and you rose again for my salvation. Thank you for answering this prayer. My, my, my. Whew. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. What I need you to do before you leave this place today is come see me. I don't care how many people's around me. I don't care what I'm doing. Grab my coattail. Grab me by the arm. Say, hey, I give my heart to Jesus today. I need to know that, and you need to confess that. You need to confess it. It's that mouth. Your heart's believing to it, but now you've got to confess it. I accepted Christ today. Woo. Tell me, tell somebody, but I'd love it if you tell me and make me feel like this last 45 minutes has been worth it all. Been worth it all. Now, Father, over the household of faith, I pray, Lord, that you renew hope in every heart and in every life. It's not hard to be negative when we look around us, but I choose today. I make a conscious choice, Lord. That in the reality of it all, you are still Lord. That is the reality. You are Lord. You are in charge. And like Habakkuk asked, how long are you going to let this mess go on? You said to him to get on his perch and write it down. One of these days, I'm going to take care of it all. It may look like I'm not doing it, but I will do it. The just shall live by faith. Enrich, renew, and encourage the faith of those in this room this morning, Father. If they be sick, heal their body. Lord, if they be depressed, let the light of your glory illuminate their living to your glory and their uplifting. I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name. Give the Lord a good hand clap of praise, would you? Come on, praise him like he's good to you.